How do employers deal with a holiday hangover, or more specifically, employees failing to return to work or deserting their employment? This is stuff employers should know. Welcome to Stuff Employers Should Know, the podcast navigating the legal complexities of South African employment and labor laws. Proudly brought to you by LabourNet, management's ultimate HR solution. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Barry Gordon-Davis, and on screen in front of me is the man with the longest name in the business. Editor, yes sir, yes like it, is I live my life a quarter mile at a time. And the reason why he's on screen is I'm actually not with him in studio today. Yep. Uh, have you deserted us, Mr. BGD? Well, I'm glad you asked, yes, because I actually have not, because I have the intention to return. Uh, I find myself in self-isolation as a result of the reality that we are all still quite deep in this pandemic, unfortunately. Okay, I understand that, but where exactly are you? Because it looks like you're in a cupboard. <laughs> Acoustics, my man. Acoustics. Uh, I'm obviously at home and homes aren't necessarily built like studios and fancy studios like what we have. So uh, I'm trying to find a spot in the home with the least amount of echo. So apologies if my sound quality is not apt to scratch because I, as Yasser said, I'm quite literally in a cupboard. So as I said in the opening, um, I have not deserted because I have the intention to return. This is an important note and forms the basis of today's discussion. Because every year in January, we get calls from clients asking for advice when their employees have now failed or seemingly having deserted uh, their posts by failing to return to their employment in the new year. Um, I firstly want to tackle the difference between unauthorized absence and desertion. Now, desertion implies that an employee has uh, left their place of work and does not appear to have any intention on returning to the workplace. Whereas unauthorized absence, on the other hand, is related to an employee wishing to maintain the employment relationship, but are absent without permission or providing valid proof of their absence. Okay, Barry, so here's a burning question. How long do they have to disappear for before the employer can find them to have, well, deserted, like you've said? So in South African labor law, it does not state how long and as mentioned, it's, it's actually related to the employee's intent. Uh, so the time period is all based on how long we can objectively determine that intent. But there is a general practice, uh, which has also been confirmed by the CCMA, uh, that that waiting period should not be less than five days. But the amount that is determined is is really also based on the company. So ensure that when you want to determine what that period is, that it's not sitting in a policy somewhere. But five days is generally the accepted amount. We need to note that during this period, there is an obligation on the employer to attempt to try and contact the employee. They cannot just sit and wait for time to tick by. Um, I've been involved in many disputes in front of the CCMA where there's been a Gordon Ramsay moment, i.e. Um, please get the hell out of my kitchen. Um, and the employee then goes and says, well, I've been terminated. And they go and refer a dispute. And then at the CCMA, the employer says, no, 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 this employee actually deserted their employment. However, the employer during no time during that assumption that there was 
a, a desertion actually attempted at all to make contact with the employee to ascertain the intent to return. And there's often then this dispute as to whether there was a dismissal or whether the employee in fact had deserted from their employment. And Barry, when you say try to contact the employee, what is the accepted method for contacting the employee? So looking at information sheets uh, that have been published by the CCMA, it's quite, it's quite hilarious because it says that the best way for the employer is to send a telegram. Now, I don't know about you, yes, but like, I don't even know if telegrams still exist. And I doubt that if they do, most of us would even know where a facility to send one exists. But um, more importantly, what is important is being able to prove that the employer made reasonable attempts to contact the employee. This can be by calling them on their number, emailing, text messages, sending the employee a uh, um, uh, correspondence via registered post is also probably one of the more acceptable uh, uses. Uh, just one thing on registered post, uh, the CCMA also accepts that a registered mail that is sent to a last known address is seen to have been served uh, within seven days of it being sent. So if you're instructing somebody to return to work in that notice, make sure that you uh, give them sufficient time if it's used via registered post. You can't expect somebody via registered post to respond the next day. Give them seven days to respond. But um, at no stage during the process of uh, texting, messaging, whatsapping, whatever method that is made, the employer must not go and inform the employee that they have been terminated. Because like with everything, there needs to be a, a fair and proper process. You may indicate in correspondence the potential consequences for their actions, but don't say you are terminated because then what's the point of requesting their return? But what if you do not have the employee's latest details or contacts do not exist or are incorrect? I mean, people change their numbers so often. What happens then? Well, that, that's a great case for compliance. And we know that uh, part of compliance is ensuring that the employer has the, the, the up-to-date details and personal details of their employees. Uh, and ensuring that, that periodically those details are kept up to date. Um, so you, whatever the last known address is according to those details is, is what is usually used because that's the information that was given to the company to use for cer certain circumstances. But if the employer does not have an address for the employee, the employer should make every effort to get a message to the employee uh, via any other means. Let's say, for example, family members or next of kin that they had uh, stipulated in their personal file, uh, emergency contact numbers and the like. But the employer has to go and demonstrate that it did all things reasonable to attempt to try and contact the employee to uh, try and establish their intent to return. All right, that makes sense. Um, what happens if the employee actually does respond? Where do we go to from there? So, yes, yeah, so we, we send out a, a correspondence and the employee does respond. Now, the whole purpose of getting them to respond is to determine their intent. So we want to go and investigate the, the reason for their absence, uh, whether they have a, a valid reason. Uh, we know under, under COVID times, there are a lot of instances where employees become hospitalized. 
Um, there are certain circumstances where they might be incarcerated. Um, there is also um, the common used excuse, uh, the, the, I call it the bold and beautiful scenario, where we have characters that get resurrected from the dead. Um, but they have to go and establish that there is a, a valid reason for their absence. But regardless of that, um, this can be done through a, a, a disciplinary process. So the employer still has the uh, prerogative to take disciplinary action against employees who fail to prove. And the, the process then shifts effectively into unauthorized absence, where we've now established that the employee intends to actually return. But if the employee says, I do not want to come back, we get hooked up quite often as employers by saying, well, you know, then you have to give us written resignation. Um, if they say it over the phone and there's proof that they can say it, or if they, even if they do it in writing, writing doesn't necessarily have to be a formal uh, correspondence letter that is, that, is, that is signed and left on the manager's desk. It can also be a WhatsApp. It can also be a SMS or any of the other methods of correspondence. But resignation... Uh, or, or, or indicating the intent not to return can also be done by, by actions. Uh, not only the disappearing part of that, what I mean by that is, is that what gets said and done. Quite often you'll have an employee that leaves the workplace and on their way out they, they pull a fool with Jerry Maguire, you know, um, taking their, their goldfish, uh, asking who's coming with them, saying, I'm leaving this place, I'm never coming back, cleaning up their desk. Um, and if the employer has proof over this, you know, there you've already established your intent that they are, are actually wanting to resign and you can assume that they have objectively resigned and that there is no intent to return. So if the employee responds, let's find out what their intent is. If there's no intent to return, try to get proof of it and then there is the proof that we required that they have actually repudiated their own contract of employment. So what does the employer have to do when it seems as if the employee has actually deserted? Yeah, so now we have that employee that's busy ghosting us. Um, we've, we've gone and uh, literally exhausted all uh, methods of attempting to contact and determine whether the person has actually uh, uh, got the intent to return or not. Now we're guided by pretty old case law from 2002, uh, which is the SABC versus CCMA and others matter, where the Labour Appeal Court held that it's not desertion when an employee who is absent from work intends on returning to work. We've covered that. Okay? Desertion entails the employee's intention to no longer return to work. We've dealt with that. But what they went on to go and say is, is that the employer would have to establish this intention in a fair process. Not only just the, the, the substance, the, the substantive aspects of it. There also has to be procedural fairness. So um, what, the question would then be, what is a fair process? So what we would then do is, effectively send out the correspondence uh, if we don't hear from the employee send out cor correspondence inviting the employee to a disciplinary inquiry that disciplinary inquiry will read out the fact that the employee has not stated that they intend to resign and we are trying to establish their intent to return so in that correspondence we would then say all right here's a disciplinary inquiry for and here's the thing, when you charge the employee, you charge them for unauthorized absence and or desertion from the workplace. The reason being is, if the employee arrives for that uh, disciplinary hearing, you can then have a disciplinary hearing, as I explained, for unauthorized absence. And the charge of unauthorized absence would apply. However, 
if the employee does not attend, the investigation is then turned into a one of an absconsion investigation or desertion investigation, where a, a whoever is facilitating the process or chairing the process can then use the evidence of um, the submissions and the correspondence and the attempts to contact the, the, the company to objectively ascertain that there is no intent and that the employee is then deemed to have, be, uh, have absconded and thus repudiated their own contract. So where there is no response, the employer is then able to then uh, uh, take disciplinary action, as I say, even if it's in absentia, and conclude the matter and terminate the employment relationship. Now, when I say terminate the employment relationship, this is something that's very important. I'm not intending on dismissing the employee. We don't, we're not dismissing the employee in the definition of dismissal. The employee has repudiated their own contract. This is very important because it helps at the CCMA. We know that, let's say, for example, the employee absconds from the workplace only to then come out of the woodwork by reference of referral to the CCMA of a dispute. They might have then uh, not even decided to then phone the company. They might have just received a telegram saying that, your, that the company deems you to have repudiated your own contract of employment. They deem that to be a dismissal. They go to the CCMA. We can now go and demonstrate to the CCMA that there was no dismissal, but through the actions of the employee, they have repudiated their own contract and we deemed them to have thus resigned effectively or absconded or deserted their employee and we just simply terminated them off of our system but did not dismiss them. You can still in those circumstances because remember even if we have now followed this process and the employee then decides to return we still want to have fair procedure which means that we can go through that process and then agree to then uh, afford them an opportunity to then actually um, state their case as to why uh, they, they were absent for this period if they're now claiming that they have the intent to return. And this can be for some period after they have deemed to, to have absconded from the employment. So in reflection, and I think to conclude this session, this, this, this cupboard session, <laughs> um, and we will try and not make it a regular occurrence. I, I really miss being in the studio with you, Yas. But what we really want to take away from today's session is, is that employers should tread carefully when it comes to uh, desertion. And we must not quickly just simply, when an employee is missing, claim that they have deserted and send them a termination letter in that regard. There is an onus on them to follow a process, as I have discussed. They have to then go and show that they have... Uh, met their obligations to try and contact the employee and shown that they have done everything to, to attempt to establish that intent to return and only terminate, i.e. not dismiss the employee, but terminate the employment relationship on the grounds of desertion um, after they have followed all this uh, and really obtained um, uh, valid uh, uh, proof that there's no intent to return. And remember, Again, and I know I've said it, but we have to reiterate it. And, and the fact that I'm sitting in a cupboard means that COVID-19 is well and alive. And there are a lot of people out there that, that uh, are, are sitting in hospitals. And we know that it, it might be difficult for them to contact their employer. So the employer really needs to ensure that there is actually no intent to return. 
Um, and if they do, then give them a fair opportunity to state their case as to why their absence should not be deemed to have been unauthorized. And if it is unauthorized, why is there a valid uh, uh, reason for it? So that's it from me for this episode of Stuff Employers Should Know. A very different episode and the first time I'm recording not in the studio um, and feeling a million miles away sitting in my cupboard. Um, so again, if the sound quality wasn't up to our usual standard, um, it is what it is. And uh, I'm sorry if I sound a little bit nasal as well, but things will get better from next week. So as always, get in touch on social media or drop us an email at sesk at labornet.com and let us know what you want us to discuss. So, uh, and I've always wanted to say this, so from myself, BGD, in my cupboard, reporting live, back to the studio. Yes, back to you. Cheers. Stuff Employers Should Know was proudly brought to you by Labornet, management's ultimate HR solution. For more episodes from Stuff Employers Should Know, Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you play your favorite shows. Case law or statutes referenced in the podcast are current at the time of recording.